chapter from the Word of God. The way this works is it's kind of unscripted. The, the, the purpose of it is to show you that the Bible has all the answers. I don't want the purpose of it for, for you to come away with, uh, Pastor Adrian is so smart. Tonight, it may be that you come out to find out I'm not that smart, but hopefully what I can do is at least point you to the book where all the answers are. And uh, before I do that, though, look, if you would, in your Bible, go to First Chronicles. I know what some of you are thinking. What good thing could come out of First Chronicles? Uh, but go to First Chronicles. I appreciate the honesty, Brother Sean. Um, go to go to first. You know what we should probably do at this point? Let's pray. Amen. Amen. Let, let's pray and ask for God's help. God, we thank you so much for the night. We thank you so much for the opportunity to open up this book. Lord, honestly, we don't deserve Lord, uh, our hands are impure, our eyes are impure, our minds have been uh, infiltrated. Lord, our hearts are sometimes dirty. And God, this is the book, Lord, that cleans it all up. Lord, the, the, you, you, you said it was the washing of the water of the Word of God. And we are thankful for these words that are in this book. God, thank you for giving them to us. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here tonight that does not know what it means to have eternal life, they don't know what it means to be born again, uh, Lord, that they might inquire, that they might look into the most important issue in their entire life, Lord, the issue of their soul. And Lord, I pray for every believer that's here tonight, that they might be encouraged and that they might be edified and strengthened, Lord, in their walk with you and in their understanding of the Word of God. Lord, uh, I, I, you know where every single heart is at, Lord, and you know exactly what everybody here needs. Lord, we, we ask for your blessing. I pray the Holy Spirit of God would lead this thing and God. I'm going to confess right now, I'm not smart enough to answer everybody's questions, Lord, but if you can at least point us to the right place in this book, we sure would appreciate it. Lord, we love you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, go to First Chronicles chapter 13. First Chronicles chapter 13, and uh, what I want you to do is I want you to, uh, to look at something, and, and what we're going to see is kind of a picture of something. Uh, and if you're not familiar with this passage of Scripture, you're not familiar with this portion of, of the Bible, uh, this is going to be kind of new for you. Uh, but this passage of Scripture de de describes for us uh, what David did when he brought back the Ark of the Covenant. Now, how many of you guys know what the Ark of the Covenant looks like? Anybody raise your hand? How many of you guys know what it looks like because you watch Indiana Jones? All right, that's all right. At least you know what it is. That's good. That's a good start. Um, the Bible gives all these dimensional uh, uh, steps, and God wanted it yea long and yea wide and yea high and, and made of certain kinds of wood and overlaid with gold and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but what the ark contained is the ark contained things that were inside of it uh, that reminded the people of God of where they came from. Uh, the other thing is this, the ark of God is where God's uh, presence would come down between where the two cherubims are at, and the presence of God would literally come down on that ark. So it was like God being with them, all right? It wasn't God, but it was like God being with them. Does this make sense? It was the, the physical representation of the reminder that God was with them, all right? So when David is bringing back the ark, it's kind of a big deal. In so many words, what's going on is David is doing something to bring God's people back to, in, in fellowship with the presence of God. So look at 1 Chronicles chapter 13. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And uh, look, if you would, at verse uh, number uh, 3. And let us, this is David speaking, and let us bring again the ark of our God to us. Now look what it says here. 
For we inquired not at it in the days of who? All right. Now, in other words, when, when Saul was ruling over the kingdom, all right, nobody said, what should, Lord, we want your direction. God, we want you to guide us. Lord, we want you to bless us. Lord, we're not smart enough on our own to figure all of life out. Lord, we want you to be the one leading this thing and not ourselves. Now, when, in the days of Saul, they didn't inquire at it. Uh, now, now, David is saying something very significant. You may think it's all oh, just a bunch of boring history, but it's more than that. Go back three chapters. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 10. Now, this is double bonus points when you get two good passages in Chronicles in one night. All right? So look at 1 Chronicles chapter 10, and look at verse 13. So Saul, now it, this is the same Saul that David was just talking about, right? David says that we inquired not. In other words, we didn't look into, we didn't ask God's direction in the days of Saul. So now we're going back to look at the end of the days of Saul, and look at what God says about Saul's life. Uh, look at 1 Chronicles ten thirteen. So Saul died for his transgression which he committed against the Lord, even against the what? The word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. I don't have all the time in the world to go to every passage, but here's kind of how the story goes. Uh, Saul was given a few chances to do things God's way, and Saul decided, I'll do it my own way. God, I know what you say, I know what your book says, I know what your words say, but I'm smarter than you are, so I'll just do it my way. God, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what you tell me to do, but I'm going to do it my own way with my own twist on it, and who are you to tell me I'm wrong? Does this sound familiar? Anybody ever done that in their life? I'll raise my hand because I know I have, all right? And so Saul does that, and, and what it says here is this, because of Saul's rejection of God's word in his life, what God did is God said, you know what, Saul, if you're not going to hear me through my words, you're just not going to hear me. Some of, you want, some of you tonight are like, how can I know what God's direction is for my life? You won't know it outside of those words. And you'll go, well, I want God to spray paint in the sky. I, I want to eat like pizza at 2 a.m. and drink a Red Bull and then go to sleep and have all these, you know, chemicals thrown, thrown through my body. And, and then God's going to give me some weird dream. And then I'll know that what I'm supposed to do is from God. Like, guys, God is not going to talk to you through a dream. He's going to talk to you through that book. And either you're going to open it or you're not. And you're either going to get up in the morning and read it or you're not. You're either going to make time for it or you're not. You're, listen, let me ask you a question. How many of you guys ate today? Who ate today? All right. Anybody not eat food today? Anybody not eat today? Okay. I, I, okay. I got don't, don't be. One of my employees raised her hand. You know what she's trying to say? My boss is a slave driver. I couldn't have time to eat. I know what's going on with that. All right. But, but most of you ate today. Let me ask you a question. For the most part, did anybody have to tell you to eat? You just kind of know I got to do this to survive. Right? There's something within you that tells you if you don't eat, you're going to die. Now, spiritually speaking, if you don't eat, you're going to die. Yeah. And I can make you excited, and I can you know, get you all animated, and, and we can talk about this program and this event and this exciting thing, and, and, and you just go from one high to the next. And in between those highs, you plummet with no spiritual power, no spiritual discernment, no leadership of God, because you're not opening that book. And so, you know what Saul does? Saul goes, I'm not going to listen to God. So when God starts the silent treatment with Saul, Saul goes, you know what? Fine, God, I don't need you. I'll just find a familiar spirit. 
I'll go to a witch and I'll talk to her and she'll conjure up some spirit from the afterlife. And it's not a real spirit from the, it's not a spirit that you think it is. It just looks like someone that you're familiar with, thus the term familiar spirit. And so it's a way of going around God through spiritual wickedness in high places and listening to something that is not from God because you are so desperate to have some kind of spiritual guidance and direction in your life, but you don't want to do it God's way. Now, now, now if, you don't, if you don't get the picture, here's what it is. The ark is a picture of the Word of God. David, and, uh, David pulls it out and he brings it back so the people of God can be back in fellowship with the Lord. It took 20 years for, for uh, that to take place. All right, Saul is the old king. He's the first one. David is the new king. Saul is a picture of the old man. David is a picture of the new man, Jesus Christ. Saul is a picture of the flesh. David is a picture of of, of Jesus Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, Uh, uh, Saul manipulates people. David leads people. Are you getting the picture yet? All right, Uh, Saul inquired not at the word of God. David brought it back. Now, why did I go through all this? Because tonight, what tonight is about is about getting back to the book. Uh, When it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your kids, when it comes to your mental health, that's a big word these days. When it comes to whatever is going on in your life, I've had people call me and they go, well, pastor, I'm really struggling in this area. You got any good books for it? I'm like, yeah, the Bible. And I know some of you think I'm being funny, but I'm being serious because why would you read a book about a book you're not reading? Is there a good Christian author that writes about marriage? Well, there's one called the Holy Spirit. You should start with that one. The problem is, it's plain. People sometimes, the Bible's hard to understand. I was talking with some young men about this. I said, gentlemen, what don't you understand about thou shalt not commit adultery? Like, oh, we got that one. We got that one. We got that one. Yeah, that one was pretty clear. The, the vows and these, you may think they're hard, but you, when you open that book, especially when, once you're saved, you start realizing the real issue is not that I can't understand it. It's that I don't like everything that it says. And some of the things that it says are kind of hard. I know it's going to be hard to do it, and therefore, I just don't want to do it. Is there an easier way to get this digested spiritually? And all I can say is this, the easy way is not always the right way. And so tonight, as we go into questions and answers, the whole goal is to get us to go back, uh, go to Galatians real quick, Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, and look, if you would, at what Paul says. So we'll go New Testament. I just gave you an Old Testament illustration that was a picture uh, of something that is New Testament doctrine. The New Testament doctrine is this. Once you get saved, all right, let, raise your hand if you got saved within the last 12 months. Raise your hand. All right, there's a number. If you got saved, there's a number of you there. All right. All right, here's what you have to understand. All right, uh, you got to understand this. You are going to have a battle every single day between the old man and the new man. And, and you might go, man, before I was saved, I didn't even notice some of this stuff. Exactly. Because spiritually you were dead. And now spiritually you're brought back to life through the new birth. And now you're seeing stuff you didn't see before. And now there's stuff bothering you didn't used to bother you. How many of you guys got saved and then you go back to a party like you used to go to and you go to that party and it's like, uh... I don't, yeah, right? That's right, yeah. It's like, it's kind of like, I don't know that I fit here like I used to. Uh, and then I start passing out tracks and they think I'm a freak, right? Uh, and, and so that's the only way I can feel comfortable going to a party like that anymore, right? Is to go and be a witness. The, the whole point is this, you're supposed to feel different, all right? The, things are supposed to seem different. Now, now that you're saved, what you have is this. 
You've got the old man telling you it's no big deal. Just one time won't hurt. Everybody's doing it. Just, just give it a shot. Uh, nobody will have to know. You can get away with it. And the new man inside is going, you don't want to pay that price. No, you won't lose your salvation, but you're going to lose your peace. And you're going to lose your discernment. And you're going to lose your fellowship with your father. You don't, you don't lose your relationship eternally with him, but you miss out. I, I use this illustration. It's probably old for a lot of you, but I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I've used it many times before. If my kids do something that, that basically says in so many words, Dad, I hate you. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Get away from me. I, I don't like the way you raised me. I don't appreciate anything you've done for me. And they walk away. Are they still my kid? Will I be as inclined to include them in my inheritance? Are, are, are you with me? And so, and so that's what we're talking about when we talk about the old man and the new man. Now look, if you've never been born again, you're operating on one sense. That's the natural sense. You operate on the five senses. You got what I can see and taste and touch and feel and smell and hear. If, if, if it makes sense in that, then I'm good. All right? When you get saved, people talk about a sixth sense. All right? There's a real one. It's called the Holy Spirit of God. And so once it comes inside of you, there's some things you just never saw before. And it'll, that is what gives you the ability to understand the words of God. So all of that said, a little bit of an intro to what we're doing tonight. Who wants to go first with a question? I'm pretty sure without looking and turning around, Javen has his hand up. All right. So Javen, do you have your hand up? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. What's your question, man? No, no, I think you're right, brother, and I'll read it for you, just so everybody can hear it, so they can hear over the internet as well. Uh, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. That, that, That would be it. Okay, so is the question, in so many words, is the question, is Jesus Christ equal with God? Is that the question? Okay, all right, so go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, is 1 John chapter 5. Now, it's not the gospel of John. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then almost to the end of your New Testament, there's 1 John. How many of you guys got tricked by that the first time you went through your Bible? All right. Um, now, you've got to understand something. Uh, there are seven mysteries in the New Testament. Now, let me say this. If something is not mysterious to you, it's not a mystery, right? In other words, if you can explain it, there's nothing mysterious about it. 
There's nothing mysterious about the fact that, Javen, you're sitting right there. Nothing mysterious about that at all. Do you know what is mysterious? The Bible says in Ephesians, you're seated in heavenly places. And you're going, no, I'm not. I'm sitting in church right now. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not seated anywhere. Well, yet you're there, but you're there. And the reason that you're there is because you are, as the Bible terms the coin, in Christ. And Christ is at the right hand of the Father in the third heaven. So you know what the Bible says in Ephesians? We are seated together with him in heavenly places. Present tense, not we will be, we are. All right. So, so how do you explain that? Well, it's a mystery. Uh, there's a number of mysteries in the New Testament. There are seven uh, uh, that, are, that I would say are the major mysteries of your, of your New Testament. And one of them is called the mystery of godliness. And I know some of you know this well, and that's a blessing, but the mystery of godliness um, is, is one that you definitely want to be familiar with because it's real interesting how you can go your whole life and not be saved and no one gives you the gospel. Then once you get saved, out of the woodwork comes everybody with all kinds of weird doctrines and ideas. And that's kind of how it works. Now, uh, the mystery of godliness we're going to get to in a little bit. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll get there in a moment. Don't go there now. But for now, uh, look at first. And here's what I learned to do. Uh, there are a couple rules. If you're taking notes tonight, there's a couple rules for Bible study. One of them is this. The, ru- the first rule is the, uh, the rule of context. If you take a verse out of context and you don't look at what's going on throughout the rest of that passage, you can make that verse say a lot of things. All right. Uh, there's a verse in the Old Testament, I believe it's in Hosea, where, it sums, where, it said, where God is speaking. He says, come to Bethel and transgress. Now, I, I don't want to go into all the, the, the if you go into the, the context of what that means, it ain't good. Uh, it, what God's telling them to do is basically to uh, uh, continue in some filth and wickedness that they were involved in. He's speaking sarcastically. You wouldn't know that unless you read the context. Do you ever speak sarcastically? You ever do that with your kids? You ever do it with your spouse? Don't look at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. All right, well, well God does it too, and he did it with Israel. All right, so context is important. Understanding who is talking, who are they talking to, what are they talking about, and where does this take place in the Bible? That's important, all right? Uh, there are a number. Uh, another one is this, compare spiritual things with spiritual. In other words, compare this passage with that passage with that passage with that passage don't take a verse out by itself and go, boom, there it is. Because you can take any verse out of context and make it say anything. So uh, 1 John chapter 5, let's identify. Uh, here's another one. Here's a, the other thing I'll give you. Is interpret the obscure by the clear. Don't try to interpret the clear by the obscure. In other words, if you've got a thousand verses that say you can't lose your salvation, and you think you find one that says you think you can, all right, what I would do is I would interpret that one by the thousand. Does that make sense? All right, so, so look at 1 John chapter 5, and let's be clear about this much, all right? Um, there are not three different gods. That much we need to be very clear on. There's one God. All right, 1 John chapter 5, look if you would at verse... Uh, now, 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 Bible study is an interesting thing. If you're lost, Bible study can kind of feel boring, uh, if you are, I'll even say this, even if you're saved and you're living according to the flesh, Bible study can kind of feel like, eh, and, 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 and you know, if back in my day it was MTV, I don't even know what it is now, I'm so old, I don't know, whatever you're finding on TikTok that may excite you does nothing for me, you know why? Because that stuff speaks to the flesh, I'm not, I've learned this much, you can't have both appetites working at the same time, you're going to choose which one, right? But look at First John chapter 5, and uh, look if you would at verse number 7. 
For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word. Now, the, the title of the Word is given to Jesus Christ. And I want to be very clear about this. We'll see this in the Gospel of John in a little bit. All right. But that title is in reference to the eternal nature of Jesus Christ. All right. He's also called the Son. Now, when he comes during, during his earthly ministry, he refers to himself as the Son, submitting to the will of the Father, and there's a reason for that. All right? But it does not make Jesus Christ a lesser being than God the Father. I'm going to prove that to you in just a moment. All right? So it says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And look at the last part of that verse. And these three are what? All right? So they're one God. Right? There are three manifestations of God. You can say people use the title three persons, uh, but I would say this. You are a body, soul, and spirit, but there's not three javens. There's one javen, all right? There, there's just three parts to who you are. There are three manifestations of who you are, all right? So, so God says in the, old, in, in, in the book of John, it says that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. All right, so you are never going to see God the Father. Then he says that the Holy Spirit is kind of like wind, and it, and it moves, and it blows, and thou canst not tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth, so, is the, all, so are they that are born of the Spirit of God. And then it talks about God the Word, or Jesus Christ the Son. And these three are not three different uh, gods, they are one. That's what the Scripture says. So let's get that much down first. They're one. All right. Now, the question then becomes, okay, if they're one, when Jesus Christ came, uh, why does he refer to the, the Father being the one that's leading him, right? And, and like, like having to submit to the will of the Father. Uh, there are a couple of things there, and I'll give you this. Uh, the Bible says that what Jesus Christ did was a pattern for us in the book of Hebrews that we should also obey. Uh, but look at Hebrews chapter number 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Now, listen, does God have to obey anybody? No, but if God became a man, would he have to learn obedience? <laughs> listen, l l think about this, gentlemen. All right, Javen, think about this. The Roman soldiers are ripping his beard out. If he wanted to, he could speak a word, and they literally would be obliterated in front of him. But you know what he did? He kept his mouth shut. Why did he do that? Well, so you could be saved. He's not like us. That's absolutely true. But look at Hebrews chapter 5 and look, if you would, at verse number 8. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 8. And the Bible says, Though he were a son, capital S, yet learned he obedience by the things which he what? All right. So when he came as a man, think about this. He was a baby in a family. And he grew up to be a toddler and eventually a teenager. You know what his mom tells him to sweep the floor? What does he do? You got it, mama. There's the God that flung the world into existence. The one that said, let there be light. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. The one that said, let there be light. The one that said, uh, let the dry land appear and, and let, let, uh, let separate the waters that are above the firmament from the waters that are below the firmament. The dry land he called uh, earth and the, 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 the water he called the seas and all that kind of stuff. You say, who did all that? Jesus Christ. Yeah. And there he is as a teenager going, yes, ma'am, I'll take the trash out. 
I'll never forget one time there was a teenage boy that was here at church. He's not here right now. Don't, don't look around and go, which one is it? He's not here, right? And, uh, and he was mouthing off to his mom because his mom asked him to take out the trash. And Arianne just goes, take out the trash. He's like. <laughs> but Jesus Christ didn't need that. He obeyed. He didn't have to, but he did. He learned obedience, right? Look at uh, John chapter number one. I'm trying to show you that Jesus Christ is, in fact, uh, God, uh, and he's not less than the Father, but when he came, he submitted himself to a human experience. God had never done that. All right, look at John chapter one and look at verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was who? All right, well, let's just see who he's talking about. Look at verse 14. And the word was made what? That's Jesus Christ. He calls him God. And he says in the beginning, was, it was God. Look at uh, uh, verse number, I'll go back to verse number three. All things were made by him. Who? Jesus Christ, the word. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, when you look at the, the title of Jesus Christ in Paul's writings, here's what you're going to find, all right? Uh, you're going to find it, it, Paul doesn't just necessarily call him Jesus. You say, why? Well, if you open up a phone book, I, don't, I know some of you don't know what that is. It's a big, big yellow thing, and you flip through, and it has names and numbers. And anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. All right. And, and if you look at the name Jesus in Mexico City, you're going to find a lot of Jesuses. Amen? They're not all the Savior of mankind. Are you with me? All right. So, so what you do is you come across this in your Bible. Lord Jesus Christ. The Philippian jailer uh, sees Paul and Silas praying till midnight. The chains fall off and Paul and Silas don't leave. And there's an earthquake. I mean, crazy wild scene. Hollywood has nothing on the Bible. <laughs> and this crazy wild scene. And here's this guy, pulls out a sword. He's about to fall on it because he thinks the, 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 the prisoners are, are, have gotten loose. And in, under Roman law, if the prisoners get loose, you're going to die anyways. So he's like, you know what? I don't want to stand in front of the firing squad. I'd rather just fall on my own sword. He pulls the sword out and Paul goes, do thyself no harm. We are all here. Then the jailer goes, what must I do to be saved? Remember that? And what does Paul respond with? He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this title right here has to do with his divinity. That's a fancy way of saying the fact that he's God. This has to do with the fact of his humanity. And this right here has to do with the fact of his royalty. Because Christ means anointed. In the Greek, it's Christos. It just means anointed one. And so, you know what you got? You got the anointed one of God. In the Old Testament, the kings were anointed. And by anointing the king, you were saying, this is the one that God chose. So you know who Jesus Christ is? He's the one that God chose. He is the Christ of God. By the way, there's a reason why in the Gospel of Luke, when it's describing uh, uh, Jesus' birth, I believe it's in chapter 1, it may be chapter 2, but it talks about the Lord's Christ. You know why it talks about the Lord's Christ? Because the devil's Christ is still to come. He's called the Antichrist, 1 John chapter 4. All right. So, so basically, what you have to understand is this. The name Jesus is a human name. But he wasn't just a man. And he also wasn't just God. He was both. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Pastor, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Why yep. Like because he's a man. Oh. So you're saying my God, but I'm still him? Yeah. Uh, uh, a matter of fact, since you brought that up, sorry guys, we're going to take a detour. Uh, look at uh, John, same chapter, uh, John chapter 20, and guess what? Someone else calls Jesus Christ my God. Look at John chapter 20, and look at verse 28. When Thomas sees the nail prints in his hand, he falls down, and what does he call him? My Lord and my God. Yep. So it's not a matter of Jesus not being God. It's a matter of Jesus as a man speaking to men about God and him submitting himself to the human experience. Now look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is where this is where it kind of encapsulates this entire idea. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now let me, let me throw this out there too. When I first got saved, I could not find... Um, if I were trying to find all the verses that we're looking at, I probably would get frustrated and I wouldn't even try anymore because I don't know where it all is. And when I first got saved, I didn't know. Can I just encourage you that, that maybe you're new to this whole Bible study thing? Don't get discouraged. Just because someone can find it quicker, get there quicker, doesn't mean you should stop. Keep trying. All right? Uh, everyone has been there. Can I get a witness? All right? Uh, First Timothy chapter 3, look if you would at verse number 16. Now, if God says something is without controversy, you know what that means? There's no debate. Now, you can argue if you want to, but it's kind of a futile thing with God. Resistance is futile, right? You, you can argue if you want to with God, but it doesn't make you right. And it doesn't change truth. It just means truth won't be effective in your life. So, so look what it says. And without controversy, there's no debate about it. In, in God's, in God's uh, uh, sight, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Look at the next phrase. Who was manifest in the flesh? Well, who's that talking about? So is Jesus Christ God? But is he also a man? This is why I'm telling you it's called a mystery. I mean, you try to explain the creator of the universe sweeping the floor because his mom told him to. That doesn't make sense. Does that make sense to you? It doesn't to me. The creator of the universe needs his diaper changed. I'm not being blasphemous. I'm trying to get you to think. So he was God, 100%, and 100% man. So when you see him say things like, you know, my God and my Father and all that, he's submitting himself to the human experience. But it's not a matter. Go to Colossians real quickly, in case you're still wondering about this. Uh, Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, da, 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 da. that's, uh, that's not it. No, I'm looking for, uh, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I think that's chapter one, if you, chapter two, look at Colossians chapter two and look at verse number nine. Now you may not be familiar with this word. Okay. So I'm going to give it to you the way that you've heard it before. Here's the Bible word for it. Godhead. Do you know what you're used to calling it? Trinity. All right, that's the three in one. All right, so in him, talking about Jesus Christ, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, but bodily. In other words, all of God that you're ever going to see, right, as a human being is found in the person of Jesus Christ, right? 
Uh, and, and so the idea is this. He's not lesser. Look at uh, Philippians. Go to, go, go to Philippians real quick. Philippians chapter uh, 2. Philippians chapter 2. And look, if you would, at, oh, verse number 6. Verse 5, verse 5. All right, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of who? God. God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Amen. He's equal because he is. He is God. He just submitted himself to human experience. Look at verse number 7. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So he's equal with God. He's in the form of God, but he was made in the likeness of men. This is the, the mystery of godliness being explained here in Philippians. Look, if you would, at verse number 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became, what's the next word? Obedient. Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Uh, look at verse number 10. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you see there that it's not that he's less or that he's, he's a different God or a created God, which is what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. It's none of that. It's simply that when he came as a man and lived the human experience, he submitted to God the Father and he showed us a pattern, an example of the interaction that should take place between those that call themselves the sons of God, John chapter 1, verse 12, and those that are following their God. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's, it, I would say this. It's not so much attributes as much as they are manifestations in different ways. All right? So you read in the Bible about the Spirit of God being grieved and quenched and having the attributes of a person. You read about God the Father, and God the Father is angry. God the Father rejoices. All right, you see Jesus Christ as a man. He wept. These are all things that people do, right? So it's not that they are uh, 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 like, kind of like vague entities. They are actual persons from within the Godhead. They are manifestations of God in different ways. Just like you have a body, a soul, and a spirit. And, and that's right, but you're only one person. And the issue is this, people get hung up with the Yahweh and Jehovah and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but but I, I guess, here's what I would do. Uh, look at John chapter number 8, or John chapter 5, John chapter 5. This will probably, I think, help solidify this for you, and then we'll move on to the next question. John chapter 5, John chapter 5. So, so the first question has to do with whether Jesus Christ is equal with God, Right? Is he God? Is he equal with God? John chapter 5. And uh, look, if you would, at verse number 17. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Now what he's saying is this, I am doing the work of my Father on the earth. By saying that, look what, is, what, what, what happens in the very next verse. Verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father. Underline the last part of this verse. There you go. There you go. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and the whole, that's the whole point. He's equal with God. He is, he is God. 
The only thing is, is when he came to be a man, he submitted himself to the human experience. And by being all man and all God, he still had to go. I mean, think about this. The Bible says in the book of James, God cannot be tempted with evil. James chapter three. Okay. well, guess what? Jesus Christ in the wilderness, Matthew four, Luke four. He was tempted by the devil in three temptations. Is he still God? Yep. But guess what was being tempted? The human. So it, you go, oh, I, I don't get. Mystery. <laughs> That's why it's called a mystery. All right. So the sooner you go by faith, I don't know if I get all that, but I sure believe it. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the sooner, the better off you'll be as you grow in your, in your relationship with the Lord. Great question. Anybody else? All right. But Logan. Yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? So the difference between the human soul and the spirit. Go to Luke chapter number 16 and go to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, for years I wrestled with that. And I, I, I tried to, I, I, was, I, I struggled with how to, how to, I know they're different because God uses different words to describe them. Uh, and I believe that book, I just, I, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around what, which one is which, right? So the difference between the spirit and the soul. Now, I told you to go to Luke 16 and Ephesians 2. Can I have you go to one more place with your third hand, if you would? All right. So go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And the reason I'll, I'll, I'm going to start there, uh, because at least by starting here, here's what the best thing to do when you're struggling with biblical truth, is start with, again, that which is clear. That which is black and white, like I can lay my hands on it, I can, I can read that and get that. Okay, I get that, now I move on. Uh, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and this is Paul closing his letter to the church of Thessalonica, uh, and he's talking to the Thessalonian Christians, and he's giving them some instruction toward the end of his, of his book that he's writing them. Uh, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, look at verse 16, uh, look at verse 17, look at verse 18. You say, what is that? Some really good instruction for your life. Verse 19, quench not the spirit. Uh, verse 21, prove all things. You ever heard someone say, I don't need to prove anything. You need, you need to prove it to God. <laughs> he tells you to. Um, and then he tells you, hold on to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. It doesn't have to be bad. It just needs to look bad for you to stay away from it. Now, now look at verse 23. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we need to start with this, because if we can't agree on this much, we're not going anywhere. You got three different things there, right? They're not the same, just, just like it is one person, but there are three distinct parts of you, okay? Just like one God and three distinct manifestations of who God is, all right? So we need to at least understand that much, there are three parts to who I am, all right? Now, go back to, I'm sorry, I told you to go to a bunch of places. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, all right? Genesis chapter, I'm going all the way back to the beginning. And then we'll work our way back to wherever I told you to go after that. Genesis chapter, sometimes I feel like a crazy person, like with one of those boards with strings attached to it all over the place, uh, when it comes to the Bible, because this book is like no other book. Uh, look at Genesis chapter 2. Or Genesis chapter 1, I'm sorry, and look if you would at verse number 27. Let me say this, if you're here and you're not saved, you're not an accident. 
Um, I'm going to be real careful how I say what I'm about to say. Um, once God brings life, that's not an accident. Okay? Um, God made you in His image. Now, you're a fallen version of it, according to the book of uh, Genesis chapter 5, says you're in the likeness of your earthly father, John chapter 8, and all that stuff, but you're still created physically in the image of God. So look at Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So what does it mean to be in the image of God? I, I think one of the things you can definitely point to is the fact that God is three and yet one. Uh, look at uh, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, the verse prior to that. And God said, what are the next two words? Well, who did God say it to? God said it to God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I'm not trying to be facetious when I say this. They have a conversation. They go, let's do it. And they make man in, their, in God's image. And so you are in the image of God. You, you are, there's a physical manifestation to you. There's the spirit side of you. And there's the side of you, the soul. Now, uh, what's real interesting about this, uh, look at Genesis chapter 2, is this, this whole idea of uh, three in one, it shows up in nature as well. Um, when it comes to the rays that come off of the sun, you've got light rays, you can see those. You've got heat rays, you can feel those. You've got actinic rays, and you can't do either of those. You can't see them, you can't feel them, but they're there. You say, what is that? You can see Jesus Christ, you can feel the Spirit of God, and you can't see or feel God the Father. All right, that thing goes all, there's all kinds of illustrations in nature itself that way. Uh, look at Genesis chapter 2, and look, if you would, at verse number 7. So what Genesis 2 does, it's not a, a different account of creation. It just goes into detail. When God says, let's make man in our image, then Genesis 2 goes into the description of what God does. So look at Genesis 2 and verse number 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. All right, so ladies, when you say men are dirt balls, you are a thousand percent correct. All right. <laughs> So, so he formed man, watch this though, of the dust of the ground, all right, there's the body, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You see that? You see, what is that? That's spirit. John chapter number three, uh, he likens the spirit of God to what? To wind. To air. What is a pneumatic drill for any of you tool people? It's air driven. Do you know what pneuma is just a Greek word? I'm going to give you the, the way you transliterate that. All right. You say, what is that? That's the word for spirit. All right. So he breathed uh, the breath of life. And then the Bible says man became a living what? All right. You know what you find within the soul? You find the consciousness. It is the real you. Jesus says it this way, What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, one of the best ways to understand what, what these three things are, the body is real simple. We got that one, right? We're trying to figure the distinction between these two things out. Um, go to Luke chapter number 16. Luke chapter 16. 
Now, over in um, Ephesians chapter 2, it says about you Christians, ye were, past tense, dead in your trespasses and sins. All right, well, you know what Paul describes in Romans chapter 7? He describes how that happens. And when Paul talks about that, he's referring to this thing right here. There's something within you that dies. Now, now, here's what I can tell you. When someone dies, their body goes into the ground. According to the book of Ecclesiastes, the spirit goes back to God. You say, what is it? Because it's the life that God gave you, and it goes back to him. He's the holder of life. The soul, now that's a different story. The spirit could be dead, which is what requires the new birth, Ephesians 2. But when the soul dies, you know what that is? That's the second death. Who just said that? All right, that's, you got it. Uh, everyone's like, not me. I didn't say it. Uh, the, the lake, I'm, I don't got eyes in the back of my head. I'm not my wife, sorry. Um, but the, the lake of fire is the death of the soul. So what you have in the Bible presented is the breath of God. The word inspiration. You know what that means? Let's split it up. You don't have to know the original languages to figure this out. It means to put spirit into something. You are putting life into it. Otherwise, if this book isn't the, uh, does not contain the inspired words of God, you've got a, just a book written by men that can't change your life. The life comes from the fact that God breathed on this and gave life to it. Otherwise, it would be just like any other book. All right, when you when you got a body, which you get into some weird stuff with science and trying to clone people and all that kind of stuff, man, you get into some weird stuff there because you can inject breath, but what is how is the soul there? Right. I mean, it's weird. Um, so so uh, Luke chapter sixteen describes what you read about in Revelation chapter twenty to an extent. Uh, look at Luke chapter number sixteen, Luke sixteen, and what you're reading here is a description of a historical account. I want to challenge you. You will not find the word parable in Luke 16. All right, a parable is something that's supposed to be a picture of something else. This is not a picture of something else. It is what it says it is. It's a historical account of a man with a man's name given, and one man goes one way, another man goes another way. So look at Luke 16 real quickly, and uh, notice what it says about these two men. Uh, Luke 16, verse number 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. It means he ate very well. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, there's the man that was named, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. Well, hold on a second. I, I, I want you to see something. The, the Bible says... The beggar dies, but then it says he's carried. What's carried? Now, I'm going to give you this right now. His body goes in the ground. How do you know that? Well, look back if you would. Um, oh, let's see here. Uh, da, 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 where it says he was buried. If you have the, uh, verse number 22 at the end of the verse. Sorry there, guys. The rich man also died and was what? Buried. So there's the body. That's clear. Then it says in hell he lifted up his eyes. And then he describes some weird stuff. He says this. All right, look down at uh, uh, verse number 
Uh, well, first off, right there, he, he lifted up his eyes. Well, you don't have eye, your body's in the ground, right? If the body's in the ground, what are his eyes? What does he mean, his eyes? Yeah, but it's it, there's something that was a part of who he was, and it's not the body because the body's in the ground. But whatever this part of him is, it has all the senses that the body had. Bingo. It's the real you. Now, now go back to the Gospels real quickly. If you keep reading this, you know what he says? He says, uh, go, to, go to Luke real quickly. Uh, but uh, he says this. He says, have Father Abraham dip his finger in water and cool my tongue from tormented in this flame. Luke 16. Well, how can you have a tongue if your body's in the ground? Whatever that is, it's got all the senses that you had in your natural life. It's the soul. All right? Um, look, if you would, at Luke chapter uh, 23. Luke chapter 23. Now, when Jesus Christ died, where did his body go? His body. That's right, but where, when his body was not resurrected, where was his body? It was in the tomb, right? So his body was buried, all right? Then let's, go, let's work our way down into the spirit and the soul. Look at Luke chapter number uh, 23. Luke chapter 23. And look, if you would, at verse number uh, 45. Luke 23 and verse number 45. And the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. This is when Jesus is on the cross. And look at verse number 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice... He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my what? And having said thus, he gave up the what? Do you realize in your New Testament that the Holy Spirit is sometimes called the Holy Spirit and sometimes he's called the Holy Ghost? It's the same person. You know why? Because the word spirit and ghost are used interchangeably in your Bible. Uh, The word ghost in your Bible is not used the way that we use it like Casper the Friendly Ghost and all that stuff. It's a reference to the spirit within you. So when Jesus died, his body went into the ground. Before he could die, the spirit had to go back to God. But there's one part that's not mentioned. Well, what did he do for three days and three nights? You guys know what the Bible says about that? Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, and look, if you would, at verse number uh, 10, 9, verse 9. Now that he ascended, talking about Christ, that means he went up, what is it but that he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth? Well, what part of him did that? It wasn't his body. His body was in the ground. It wasn't his spirit. His spirit had gone back to God. It was his soul. And Jesus, the soul of Jesus Christ. Now, this is weird. This is deep stuff. I get it. But we're breaking it down as best as we can. And and the soul went down there. You say, what did he do? He preached. And uh, you read about that. I don't have time to go into that. But if you're writing a reference, it'd be 1 Peter 3, verse 19. He preached to those spirits in prison. 
And so look at Ephesians 4, verse number 10. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, and he might fill all things. So when Jesus Christ died um, at the cross of Calvary, right, the Spirit went back to God, the body went in the ground, and the soul went into the lower parts of the earth, according to Ephesians 4, and according to 1 Peter chapter 3, he preached... You say, what did he do? Well, back then, I'm just going to give you this real quickly. Uh, paradise and hell were in the lower parts of the earth at one time. That's another story for another time. Uh, after that, after he preached there, he brought paradise up to the third heaven. And Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 12, I think it is. Um, so the distinction is the body is the physical part of you. The spirit is the life that God puts in you. And the soul is the real you. Now, there's a lot more we can go on from there, but that's a, that's a good starting point for that. All right, we probably have time for one more question. Yes, sir. I can read some of it. What would the question be? And then I'll, we'll get to the, the passage. So let, let's, that's a good question. So the question is, let me ask it this way. How about I ask it this way? Can you lose your salvation as a Christian? Yeah. Be in Christ. He's a new creature. Uh huh. So, yep. if anyone is already in Christ, how can they be drawn out? Right. That would be the question. That, it, it, the, the general question is can you lose your salvation? Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. From here is confusing. Right, right. So let's do this. Let's start with what's clear. Because John 15, if you read the whole passage and for sake of time it's 820, we probably can't do that. But what he's pointing out are those key verses that would make it look like you as a Christian can lose your salvation. So there's a couple things that are kind of interesting about this. All right. The first thing is this. Um, there are some things that Jesus preaches before he dies that still apply on this side. Okay. How about this one? You must be born again. How do I know it applies on this side? Because on this side, 
Paul, uh, Peter talks about being born again, not a corruptible seed. Paul talks about being a son of God. Paul mentions being begotten through in Christ. So the reference of the new birth is not isolated to back here. It's mentioned over here as well. Does that make sense so far? Okay. Um, let me ask you this question. Um, do you think you have to work your way to heaven? It's not a trick question, I promise. Okay. Some of you think I'm trying to trick you. I'm not. Uh, look, look at Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to answer it, but to answer that, you kind of get to look at a couple things. I look at Ephesians chapter 2 real quickly. Because the idea is this. You should take the Bible literally. You should not, you should not say the Bible is saying something that it doesn't say. But if you don't rightly divide your Bible, there's going to be a lot of times when you are all kinds of confused and you will bounce back and forth between ideologies that are competing ideologies. All right? So, so here's a simple one. Do you guys bring a sacrifice to pay for your sins on Sunday or on Saturday? No, clearly you don't do that. But they did in the Old Testament. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, look if you would at verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works. You got that? Now, now, if someone asks you, what must I do to be saved? What would you answer? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, why do you do that? Because that's an answer given to somebody over here on this side of the cross. Now, I, but, but being given, given the fact that we're, it's 825, I won't go through all the references, but I'm going to give you this real quickly. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 16 it makes very clear that until Jesus Christ dies, you are in the Old Testament. Right. And there are things that are said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, some of which do apply over here, some of which do not. All right? So, so in other words, the Bible says, without the death of a testator, there can be no testament. So in other words, can we agree on this? You're not in the New Testament or under the New Covenant until Jesus Christ dies. Here's my question. In John 15, is that before or after the death and burial resurrection? It's before. So let's just, just, just notate that. I'm not saying that that answers everything, but let's just put that in the back of your mind. All right? Uh, one time, a man comes to, the, to Jesus and says, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Do you guys remember that? All right? Now, what does he tell him? Does he tell him, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I, sh and I shall be saved? No, go to Luke. Go to Luke real quick. Luke chapter, I believe it's chapter 10, I think. Luke chapter 10. And look, if you would, at verse uh, number 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus saith unto him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Is that what it says? Doesn't he ask him about what the law says? And he tells him to do it. Now look at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. You, you wouldn't tell someone that if they came to you and said, What must I do to gain eternal life? You wouldn't tell him to keep the law. You, but he's under the old covenant. All right, now look at Luke chapter 18. And um, look, if you would, at verse number... Uh, 18, and a certain young, uh, ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why callest thou me good? So on and so forth. Now look what he says in verse 20. What does he point him to? The commandments. 
He t- basically, you've got to keep the commandments. And what does the guy say? I've done all that. Then Jesus tells him, you know what? You're right. Verse 22, there's one thing you're lacking. And he tells him to go sell all this stuff. If someone came to you today and said, what must I do to be saved? Please don't give him this answer. <laughs> now, I'm not being blasphemous. That was your Savior that told him to do that, but it was under the old covenant. And so there are some things that you read in the Gospels that clearly apply. You can put them apples to apples with New Testament doctrine. Here's what I'm going to tell you right now. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to give you the greatest eternal insurance policy on your soul you could ever find. Romans chapter 8. And then I'm going to come back and explain the, the actual passage in John 15. But I can't do that without going to some of these other places. All right? So, so again, there is a difference between the old covenant and the new one. All right? This one is governed by the law. This one is given by grace. This one is one that involves works. And this one is one that is not going to involve works. Okay? And some of the things that you read in the Gospels do not carry over into here because they contradict what God gave the Apostle Paul for you, the Gentiles, in the body of Christ. Now, I know that's, that's a lot of information at one time, but over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, talking about context and rightly dividing your Bible, all right, there are three people that God could ever talk to. Jews, Gentiles, and the body of Christ. Now, once you're in the body of Christ, it doesn't matter with, which one of these you are. But back here, it absolutely mattered which one you were. And all the disciples were Jewish, and they were all under the Old Testament law. And there were some things that uh, absolutely apply to them that would not apply to you at all. Now look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And uh, look at verse number 38. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. Romans 8, verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor nor, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. That covers everything. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't lose it. You're attached. The the idea that you could uh, be cut away, and and we're going to explain why the question is brought up, but... The only way for that to happen is if Jesus Christ himself went to hell. He'd go with you. Because you are bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. You are the body of Christ, Ephesians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All right? Um, Now, go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. When John the Baptist shows up, he says you got two options. You can be baptized in the Spirit. Or you'll be baptized in fire, and the fire is not a good thing. That much we can acknowledge. Matthew 3, Matthew three. look if you would at verse number uh, uh, 11. I indeed, this is John the Baptist, I indeed baptize you with water and repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost, comma, and with fire. Whose fan is in his hand, he will truly purge his floor and gather his wheat in the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So someone clearly is not part of the wheat. They're not part of that righteous resurrection. They are going in the fire. Someone's going there. The question is, 
is that referring to us? I am the vine, ye are the branches. Now I go back to John chapter 15. Um, actually, sorry, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and then we'll go to John 15. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, understand this much. You can't go to hell as a believer. You'll never go to hell. But, 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 your rewards can be burnt up. Now look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and look what it says in, uh, oh, verse number uh, 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, stones, uh, uh, precious stones, excuse me, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it, what, what's the it? Not you, but your work. Look at the beginning of verse 13. The it is, the antecedent to the word, the word it is every man's work. Your work shall be revealed by fire. As a Christian, you don't get saved by your works. Amen? It's <laughs> not how you get the new birth. But now that you are saved, you are to do good works. And the, the motive behind what you did will determine your rewards. And your works go through the fire. You don't. Look what Paul says. If any man's, uh, uh, verse uh, uh, 13, the end of it, the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. There's your motive. If any man's work abide, which he had built upon, he shall receive reward. But what happens if you don't? If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be what? All right. Now get that much down. You're not going to lose it. So what does that mean to us in John 15? Go back there now. John chapter 15. Now, either the Bible contradicts itself or he's talking to some different people and applying some things to them at a different time that's not a reference to you. Now, the other word to pay attention to is the word abide, which has a lot to do with fellowship. But uh, let me say this much. Uh, You are you yourself are not uh, cast away. Um, Look, if you would, at verse uh, number Seven, if ye abide in me, John 15, verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done to you. Here is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Now, you know what Jesus Christ is getting them ready for? Now, I don't, I don't have time to break all this down because you guys need to go home. But if, if, the, if the nation of Israel accepts their Messiah, and I know I've talked about this before, but... In the tribulation, let me ask you this question. If you take the mark of the beast, is there any hope for you? According to Revelation chapter 14, we take it literally, there's not. All right? So guess what that means? There is no eternal security in the tribulation for believers. But guess what? You won't be here for it, thank God. All right, now what you have to keep in mind is this. I'm going to do this real fast and then we'll have to close. And Brother Jose, we can talk after if needed because I want to make sure everybody gets home at a decent hour. But let me just give you this much, all right? Uh, Basically, what you have at the time of Jesus Christ's death is you have a one world government. It's ruled by Rome. There's one universal language. I could go on and on and on about everything that was in place right then that's going to be in place again at the second coming of Jesus Christ. If Israel accepts their Messiah, or at worst, accepts the message of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, you have a completely different outcome. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I'll just put it to you this way. If you're to take out this 
I'll call it a parenthetical period. If you take out this period of time that we're in right now called the church, and you just slid it right up, basically this would run clear right into this and would not miss a beat. You had Moses and Elijah show up, which is going to happen in Revelation chapter 11. It happened in the ministry of Christ. You had the Antichrist, the son of perdition, Judas. He was there. Everything that you need for the tribulation to take place was in place. You know what the Bible calls the church? Ephesians 5, it calls it a mystery. You know what the prophets could not understand? They couldn't understand this right here. So there are things that Jesus Christ is saying to those disciples that if this doesn't happen, this, basically as things are here, you slide right into here. And there is no eternal security in the tribulation. If you, don't, if you don't follow the commandments of God and keep the testimony of Jesus Christ and you take the mark of the beast, you're done. And so there are some things that Jesus said to his disciples that absolutely apply to basically the, the what-if scenario if, because they didn't even know this was there. They didn't see that. All they could see was a coming kingdom, and that was what they were expecting. Look at Acts chapter 1, and we'll be done. Acts chapter 1. Someone tries to talk you out of your salvation is because they're insecure about theirs. And, and that's why they do that. Because if they can convince you you can lose yours, then they feel better about the fact that they think they've lost theirs, and now we're all in the same boat. Misery loves company. Look at Acts chapter 1, and uh, look, at, if you would, at verse number 5. John truly baptized you with water. Now, doesn't this sound like Matthew chapter 3? We just read it. But w- let me ask you a question. Where was Matthew 3? Wasn't it over here? Okay. They're looking forward to something. Look, look at Matthew 3. Or, no, no, don't look at Matthew 3. But what you're going to read in Acts chapter 1 is a parallel to Matthew 3, and they still haven't accept, it still hasn't happened yet. John truly baptized you with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Then look what they say in verse 6. Read verse 6. Are they asking about the church? No. They're asking about a kingdom to Israel. Do you know that the 12 gates in the New Jerusalem, those 12 gates, there's uh, one gate for each apostle, for each disciple. And the Bible says that those, those apostles would sit on thrones in the restoration of the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ uh, after the, the church is raptured out of here and after you have the great tribulation and after Jesus Christ comes back, he sets up a, a kingdom for a thousand years. You go, I don't believe that. You have a right to be wrong. Amen. Um, but the Bible is the Bible's right. Amen. And so, um, so basically what you have is you've got instruction. He gives these disciples, and some of that instruction literally applies to things that are going on here, and some of that instruction literally applies to things going on here. You know what they didn't know much about? That right there, because that was a mystery. And what you understand is eternal security and the fact that when you get saved, God cuts your soul away from your flesh, Colossians chapter 2, and he gives you the new birth. That's not promised to everybody throughout the entire Bible. That's something you have in the church, which is in Christ. And, and, and to be more particular, to, to be more technical, the disciples, at the point in time in which he even gave them those words, they weren't in Christ. They didn't even have the Holy Spirit yet. They don't get that for five more chapters. John chapter 20, he breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. So there are some things that are said in the Gospels that you got to be kind of careful with because the application spiritually is this. 
God may take you. Here's the spiritual. So the doctrinal application is this. It's not about you in John 15. The spiritual application is this. God can have you plugged into a certain situation in the Lord. You don't do right with it. You don't bear the fruit you ought to bear. And God goes, okay, you don't want that. I'll just disconnect you from that opportunity. That's the spiritual. That's the practical application of that. The doctrinal application is John 15, where it talks about you being the branch. You're, you're not going to get cut off. If you get cut off, like you're, then what that means is basically Jesus Christ has been amputated and part of him goes to hell. Because you are in him and he is in you and nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ. Now, now I, again, I know we left on a real, not a deep question, brother, uh, but I hope that gives you a little bit of hope. If you're like, oh, I don't want to lose my salvation, can I assure you? Can I be honest with you guys? You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to tell you, if you don't live right, Thomas Jr., you're going to hell. You know why? I could get him to act the way I want him to act. So I'm not telling you this for my benefit. I'm telling you because it's true. The truth is, regardless of what you do in your flesh, you can't lose your salvation because it was your soul that experienced salvation, and it was your spirit that was born again. Your flesh is still your flesh. And you will battle that until the day you die. I hope you guys learned something tonight. Let's all stand, be dismissed in a word of prayer. And uh, boy, what a blessing. You guys asked some deep questions tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, I am going to ask Brother Sean if you would dismiss us in a word of prayer. Uh, be here Sunday morning. You will not want to miss Brother Ionello. Uh, he'll be presenting at 10 o'clock. He'll be preaching at 11. Don't miss it. Uh, and then next Wednesday night, Brother Sean will be preaching. Pray for us as we go to camp. And the following Sunday, we'll be back as normal. Uh, Brother Sean, if you would dismiss us in prayer.